I don't remember the first time I was called a weirdo. That's probably because I was too busy protecting my body from a flurry of flying fists. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names? Well, as a society, we've actually started to realize that names can hurt you too. Yet, the name weirdo didn't hurt me. I liked it. I realized that when I was being beaten, tormented, and ostracized by people who considered me a weirdo, in my mind it meant that they must not be weirdos. In that moment of realization, I understood that weirdos didn't beat people up. Weirdos didn't torment people. Weirdos didn't ostracize people. It's one of the things that makes a weirdo weird. We like our stuff. We like that other people like their stuff. We think however we want to think about whatever we want to think about. We don't mind that people think differently. We like engaging people with new ideas and being engaged with others who have ideas that differ from our own. We enjoy new ideas and building larger, stranger, and more creative ideas with others. Being a weirdo means that we recognize the paradox, which is that each person is different, and in that difference, we have a commonality. Long ago, I started calling myself a weirdo. I owned it. People in my school would sling weirdo at me from across the lunchroom, and I would deflect it with a smile and a response of, Indeed! Later, people at my jobs would whisper weirdo as I walked by, and I would nod my head happy with my uniqueness. It didn't stop me from getting beat up or tormented, but it empowered me. my ghoulies and my moth people. Welcome to Noctivigant, the show about the strange, paranormal, otherworldly, and the people who write books about it. My name is Rory, and I am joined by a couple of weirdos, Jay and Nick. Hi! Hello! And on this show, we are going to discuss, dissect, and review the best and worst in the world of paranormal and conspiracy literature. So settle in, buckle up, and prepare for a walk on the midnight roads of Noctivigant. How's everybody doing today? I am uh, doing okay. It's been a day. Ah, it's very hot outside. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you bring that up. I was thinking about this on the ride home, but I, has it been, to you guys, has it been abnormally hot out this summer? Oh, yeah. 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 I feel like it's been like 90 plus degrees every single day, and that is weird for Michigan. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely noticed because I have been out there almost every day uh, pulling weeds and mulching. Which, of course, I waited till mid to late August to start doing my yard work. Yeah, like some kind of idiot. Yeah, I'm, I'm paying for it, though. <laughs> this is my tribulation. You know, you're probably losing a lot of weight, though. You know, it is probably the best workout I've had in years. Um, <laughs> and it's good. It's kind of helping me, you know, shake the COVID rust on all my joints and my brain and my general personality. Yeah. Yeah. You're rusty there. Jay? I, I've been needing to take the dog out uh, pretty much every day. And um, 
She she doesn't understand that sometimes the uh, the ambulation needs to be cut short because she's dying of heat stroke and yeah. I need to bring her back to the house. And she gets so pissed at me of just like there was barely a walk at all. And yeah. it's like, yeah, because you were dying. Yeah. And she's an all black pit bull. So like heat is bad. She has no temperature regulation. None. None. So you guys uh, excited about this book? I'm excited about this. Yeah, no, I am. Uh, this was a very interesting read, very different from everything else that we've read in that it um, lacks a main point. Yep. And that's not a bad thing. That's literally what the book is. Uh, yep. But I felt I felt like I had discovered um, a diary in a burned down house and I was like reading it at midnight after taking it home and starting to go like, was the man who lived in that house like a fucking bad scientist? Did he burn down his own house trying to make a death ray? Because every every fucking chapter of this book uh, is like the Jughead speech from Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, John Tenney, I'm so sorry to compare you to Jughead from Riverdale because that's so insulting to you. Well, on that, Nick, do you want to kick us off with a little bit of a, about the author? Yeah. So uh, for those who didn't catch that, we today are reading Theoretical Weirdo by John Tenney. I don't know if we actually said the title or not. We did I not. I don't think we did. We're uh, all over the fucking place. So a little bit about John Tenney. Uh, so this is starting kind of an inadvertent little series of ours called our Hometown Heroes, because this and the next episode feature some uh, Hometown Heroes of ours. And this one is John Tenney. He is from the area. He's actually uh, lives not very far at all from here right now. No. Not very far at all. Um, so John Tenney, he uh, was born August 24th, 1971, which is actually the day we're recording this. So happy birthday, John. Happy birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday, John, who is not Jughead from Riverdale. <laughs> and also, this was not on purpose. We promise. Um, I piece this together from uh, bits of interviews he's done all over the Internet. So a little all over the place but uh he initially got into conspiracy think when he was about 14 or 15 and he got mostly into like assassination political uh, uh, conspiracy theories uh and that changed when he died uh when he was 17 we i don't know how he got in the situation exactly but he fully flatlined for two straight minutes oh wow um which is about one minute short of when brain death starts to happen uh, and he had an odd near-death experience. Rather than seeing the large, you know, white tunnel and all of light and all that, he saw a dark and scary place that was filled with, how do you put it, like forms and concepts which he can't really articulate back here in this mortal world. So he had a lot of anxiety about this experience, and uh, he actually didn't talk about it till he was in his 30s. But that did kick him down into the world of the strange. He saw that there was more to the world than uh, our materialist reality, and he uh, he needed to understand it. As we said, he currently lives in Michigan, uh, in Royal Oak. He thinks, it, and he thinks Michigan is the strangest place in the world. As he said in the 2014 Metro Detroit Times interview, we have more boats and planes disappear in the Great Lakes than in the Bermuda Triangle. We have massive UFO sightings. We have tons of allegedly haunted places. We have Bigfoot sightings. We have lake monsters. We have everything. The whole gamut of strangeness here in Michigan. I think we hear about these little stories through our parents and grandparents, and we grow up with that basis in us. Um, and that basis was in him. He was heavily involved in anomalous research for 30 years. He lectured extensively on paranormal phenomenon across the country. Uh, in that time, it's estimated that over 95,000 people attended one of his weird lectures. Uh, he also hosts the Realm of the Weird podcast that as of the beginning of 2020 had over 3 million downloads. 
Wow. Yeah. Uh, also, he also has What's Up Weirdo. Yeah, that's a newer one, uh, which is not paranormal related, but it's 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 a lot of fun. It is. Uh, he's an author of over over a dozen books, many which we're likely going to end up covering on this show. And he's acted as a consult on many paranormal shows or articles on platforms such as NBC, A&E, Fox, Sci-Fi, Discovery Channel, Huffington Post, Men's Health, and the New York Times. He himself has appeared in person on Hellier, Kindred Spirits, Paranormal Lockdown, Ghost Stalkers, which was actually his own show, The Jimmy Star Show, and Paranormal State. What is lesser known is he actually has some acting credits to his name, including playing an uncredited Metropolis executive in Batman vs. Superman, The Dawn of Justice. Oh. Yeah, and playing a, playing a security guard in Real Steel. And he also appeared in the show he wrote, Sir Grayson Presents, which as far as I can tell is a sort of paranormal mystery science theater about the mysterious Sir Graveson and his sidekicks, Vampon the Vampire and Rusty the Cameraman. <laughs> uh, he did was invited to the Vatican uh, to witness a real exorcism as he yep. is friends with the Archdiocese of Detroit. Yeah, he's talk. He talked about that on What's Up Weirdo a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's also a musician. He's performed on stage alongside names like Social Distortion, Agent nice. Orange, and Kid nice. Rock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he routinely performs at stand-up clubs around Detroit. And uh, he considers his current earthbound incarnation to be a monologist of folklore and occult phenomenon, part-time humorist, skeptical skeptic, and theoretical weirdo. Um, and that's 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 basically what I managed to stitch together from the bits I could find out there. I mean, it was quite a lot, so thank you. Well, I mean, it helps that he does so much. Yeah. I, I mean, he is, you know, I already listed there, author, musician, stand-up, yeah. paranormal researcher. Yeah, and he's got a lot of friends that uh, that he can like that he's made along the way that help keep his name out there. Yeah, that's true. I have heard his name drop by more paranormal podcasts than I can remember. Yeah, same. And non, well, I guess in TV shows that I've watched, everything. Yeah, yeah. So you guys ready to get started? I mean, yes. I should hope so. Yes. All right. Well, today we journey into the mind of John Tenney. This self-proclaimed weirdo is, in my opinion, one of the most interesting thinkers in the, quote, paranormal community. Mind you, he's not a big fan of the paranormal community. But, anyway, Theoretical Weirdo, while technically a book, is a conglomeration of ramblings and writings by Tenney, which, unfortunately for me, makes writing a summary a tad bit more difficult. He writes about all sorts of topics, ranging from aliens to demons, technology to religion, challenging us as the readers to think deeper, open our minds, and to not accept any one way of thought as fact simply because it was said. Think freely and think for yourself. In the opening ramble, he literally starts off by apologizing to us, the readers. Why? Because his mind is a, quote, disorganized file cabinet of information. And while, yes, aspects of this book are disorganized, it's the repeated challenges and thought exercises that overshadow any aspect of disorganization. Never once before I had read this book have I ever thought about if a ghost wears underpants or not. So instead of trying to summarize every single story he wrote, I'm going to pick out some, talk about the ideas of the story, and then we're going to discuss something based on that. In the first portion of the book, Tenney talks about demons quite a bit. He talks about the history of the word demonologist being witch hunters, not so much the hunters of demons. Historically speaking, being a demonologist would be a bad thing in his mind, and to that point, I agree if we're talking about witch hunters, because I don't want to be hunted. <laughs> Get him. 
The demonologists of old are responsible for the death and likely torture of hundreds, maybe even thousands of innocent witches. In today's world, everybody who deals with or thinks they deal with demons calls themselves a demonologist, and Tenney is not a fan. In the story Demons for Believers, he talks about a story where he interviewed a gentleman by the name of Malachi Martin, a theologian and former Jesuit. Martin had worked in the Vatican Biblical Institute for years. My personal biggest takeaway from this story was the idea that not all demons are the drooling exorcist ripoffs that we think they are, but rather, anyone who tries to influence your life with fear and darkness is or could be a demon. In a page and a half story titled, Come At Me Demons, Three Reasons Why Provoking Might Not Be So Great, he lays out his opinion of why being an asshole to spirits might actually be a bad idea. Number one being no ears. Spirits, ghosts, whatever you want to call them, they are on the other side and they don't have ears to hear us. So we don't know if it's going to work. If they are instead maybe hearing our thoughts, why are we giving everybody else a migraine? Number two, it's rude. Simply, it is. If we're going under the assumption that these spirits are former humans, it's pretty goddamn rude to yell and provoke someone. So, quote, grow up and stop bullying. We are trying to do research here. Number three, leftovers. One of the main theories of why there are spirits or ghosts left behind is that it's this energy or consciousness of strong personalities or traumatic events. So following that train of thought, why are, quote, ghost hunters leaving all that energy behind? It is, in my opinion, reasonable to assume that if they are yelling and generally being an asshole, that they're leaving a strong resonance on that area, they could very easily be creating or adding to something that is already there. Tenny ponders that maybe those that come after the ghost hunters that were provoking a spirit who do get some kind of paranormal action are not getting anything from the haunting, but maybe from the residents of the dipshits that came before. <laughs> so with that, we're going to enter our first discussion question. So with all these thoughts in mind, I want to discuss some, uh, or with all these thoughts of mind, I want to discuss some of this. Specifically, I want to talk about what your guys' opinions on demons are. I know that it's a complicated and large topic, but Tenny brings up some interesting thoughts on demons, ghosts, spirits, whatever you want to call them. So here's my question. If provoking a ghost could leave behind a negative residence, couldn't the same assumption be made for a priest that performs an exorcism? Every portrayal of real or fake exorcism that I've ever seen shows the demon, the quote demon, getting angry and violent uh, towards the priest. So isn't it then safe to assume that maybe this is also leaving behind some kind of resonance on its own? If not, what's the difference about an exorcism versus just provoking a ghost to show themselves? Um, so I, I guess for me, the difference would be uh, the intent. Uh, what I mean by that is a lot of the time my people who have seen uh, practicing spiritual confrontation where they're going into haunted houses and s screaming, demanding the ghosts show themselves. I mean, there, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of vitriol in the words they're saying with an exorcism. I see that more as a. I don't know, commanding display of faith in a sense. Like, yes, there is aggression involved, but I don't think the emotional resonance is the same of what the act is. Because ultimately, 
uh, confrontation is an aggressive, violent, uh, sort of violent act, especially if you're thinking in the terms of, I guess, what psychic stains you're leaving in the places you go. It is a violent act. You are uh, injecting violence into this place, whereas I feel like exorcisms, they, it's, a, you know, again, it's the intent. They're intending to cast something out. Now, that said, I have heard of uh, places that were not haunted before, which became haunted after an exorcism was performed there, or places that just kind of have a bad feeling about them ever since an exorcism was performed there. And I, I kind of always saw that as the stain left by the demon, in a sense. Um, but that's it. I, I, I do see them as fundamentally uh, a, a different uh, acts. And because of that, I feel like the metaphysical stain that would be left in that scenario would be different. Sure. I guess my one, um, I, I my my follow up to you is just because, like, I agree, right? I agree that they're fundamentally different things. Somebody taunting a ghost versus somebody performing an exorcism. But what about the demon that's being exorcised? Oh, you mean what? What it, they could? I mean that that spirit, that entity, whatever it is, is doing everything in its power to fight back and stay, you know, and not be exercised or whatever, or, 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 you know, be cast out, whatever. So wouldn't, couldn't that resonance from there trying to fight back even potentially create something on its own, almost kind of like just this ladder, like of, Russian nesting dolls yeah, and demons. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, it, it, I, I'm sure, I mean, sure it could be, I, I mean, I don't know, yeah, but, yeah. um, I would say that, uh, that's kind of what I was getting at with, you know, some places where exorcisms have happened. People have reported being very uncomfortable in those places even years later. Uh, even if it's not an entity, I think some things do leave stains. Sure. Um, and I don't know, like I've encountered a couple of places like this where even my very uh, my very skeptical parents growing up, you know, they they felt kind of the wrongness of a place. Yeah. Um, one a good example actually really was this asylum in Salem. We went on a ghost tour in Salem, Massachusetts. And okay, that's Salem. Yeah, there is a, yeah, not Salem, Michigan. Uh, there is a, it's Massachusetts, right? Uh, yeah. Okay, good. I'm directionally challenged. <laughs> that is an understatement from hell. <laughs> I can get lost on my way to the bathroom. But um, <laughs> I've seen it happen. But anyway, uh, but that that asylum we didn't him. go in. But that place didn't have running water or electricity till the 70s. It was in operation till the 80s, um, and a lot of people died there in very unsanitary conditions. And even just once we were standing in the yard. Like even my stepdad, who's this, you know, raised Catholic, very grounded in reality guy. um, He he seemed really unnerved just by the presence of whatever was there. That's kind of what I was thinking about when I whenever I imagine these uh, demon touched places. Sure, sure, sure. I dig it. I dig it. Jay. So. I I I I concur with the with the assertion that it's like provoking a ghost and exercising a demon are fundamentally different things because again intent and also target makes it fundamentally different. You are provoking if you are provoking a ghost the way we traditionally understand a ghost, you are provoking a dead human being who is probably very confused and very traumatized. And as far as they can tell, they're just trying to live in their house or they're just trying to continue floating around this place where they died or this place that had other some great other significant 
uh, meaning to them. And then fucking Shane Madey from BuzzFeed Unsolved <laughs> is kicking in their front door and insulting their mother. I have and- your bridge coat, man. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so, yes, of course you're going to get, of course you're going to get fucking angry. And there's also, there's no point to it because it's just like, oh, we're trying to record the results for science. No, you're not. You're not because you're not observing anything. You're introducing stimuli before you can even agree about the about the subject receiving the stimuli. So you have no idea what is causing the response after the introduction of said stimuli. When you are speaking in the terms of an exorcism, an exorcism is a specific cultural phenomenon targeted at a specific cultural entity, a demon and like and and like you guys uh, were saying, um, the de- demons getting angry back at that is part of them trying to resist because they're, you know, essentially squatting in an apartment and the priest coming in is the cop saying, like, you can't be in here like this isn't where you live. And this isn't your home. Yeah, this is not this is not your home. You are here 99 percent of the time. You are here without permission and to a certain extent without the knowledge of the person that you are inhabiting. And there's also the fact that especially when you speak in terms of Christianity, which is where I have the largest familiarity with exorcism, demons are creatures of chaos and anger and pointless rebellion. And to a certain extent, you have to speak to them in a language they understand because it's the only language they're going to respect. You can't speak. According to Catholic assertions, you can't speak to a demon gently. There's no way for them to respond to that. You have to speak to them with aggression, with threats of violence, with threats of whatever, because it's it's the only thing they respond to. Pain is the only language they speak, whereas with a ghost that's a that was a human at some point, you have. You have different avenues with which to communicate with them. You don't have to be cruel. So, no, like with with that, right? Even though, like speaking to the demon, um, like you, ha- you know, you got to talk to it in a way that it would understand, right? So you're building that, uh, building up that anger, uh, or or the aggressiveness. Uh, in in your own voice and your, I mean, I mean, if you think about it, most uh, priests or uh, extra, you know, people performing exorcisms are theoretically more enlightened in one form or another, right? At least within their own path, right? So, to me, that's a, that almost says that there's an increase, there's an increased chance that they are going to leave a negative residence on that place even if that's not their intent, just because that emotion is overpowering. Yes. Um, and you, you, I think you are correct in that assertion. And I do, I do think that there is an almost inevitable negative fallout from even unsuccessful exorcisms, because like, like both of you guys said there, there's just that resonance and extreme negative resonance can stain a place irreparably. And as I just said, Demons are nothing but negative resonance. It's like I I can't I can't at least within Christian theology, I can't really speak about other theologies with as much authority. But within Christian theology, demons are incapable of being anything good. And and it's also 
like just think about it in terms of like superpowers or extreme or like other like fucking force powers in Star Wars. If it's like if you get overloaded with an emotion and you have an ability, if you have abilities that allow you to externalize those emotions in shows of magical power, of course, you're going to leave a deeper psychic stain, especially like you said, like you said, Rory, it's like when you're confronting a priest who priests started out as wizards. Let's not <laughs> pretend that right. priests were anything other than mages up until we had to start going like, no, they're not. Yes, they are. Priests are priests are goddamn witch doctors and shamans and whatever the else just just shoved into Christian clothing. And so, of course, when a person learned in secret magical ways is confronting a metaphysical entity that is born from nothing but pain and hatred and negativity, of course, that head to head conversation is going to irreparably change the metaphysical nature of the battleground it took place on. I think that's really interesting because like. You know, we've talked about on the show before, like the idea of like if something or somebody believes that what they're possessed by is a demon, then the right way to attack said thing is to use the Christian faith to bring a priest in. Um, and, you know, the more that I think about it, I go, well, what if? Because the standard for dealing with a demon on a Christian way is to attack it in that nature, right? Well, what if instead of bringing in, and I'm just like spitballing off the top of my head, but like, what if instead of you, you bringing in a priest for an exorcism, you brought in, uh, like a, a hedge witch or something, somebody whose primary focus is herbal magics and things like that to try and combat it. Most people wouldn't do that. So we don't necessarily know that it would work, but I'd be curious to see because the intent behind what somebody like a hedge witch or somebody who does green magic or any old you know pagan witch they're gonna they're gonna approach it in a completely different method than a priest would right so i'd be curious to see if that would leave a different resonance well and i i mean i think of course it would because i've i mean if we're going you know obviously if if grand acts do leave an emotional resonance and i tend to think they do yeah um, no, I, I, I think it absolutely I think so. would. I, one thing I would push back on, though, regarding the idea of being aggressive to the demon is going to leave a stain. I think if the exorcism was successful, I don't know if there would be a stain because you'd be banishing out that energy along with it. Now, that the one thing I would say um, is, well, again, I don't know, uh, but uh, well, we're not we're not talking like we're an authority. We're but, just spitballing. Yeah, well, and I, I do wonder, uh, I guess, what is going to flavor that resonance more? Would it be uh, the aggression that was there or the intent behind the aggression? Considering the whole idea of will making reality, I I would tend towards intent. I, th- I think a mixture of both. But that's why, uh, like it, with, a you know, going back to the same example, using the priest the priest's intent is to cast out the demon and if and if um successful the demon is cast out but the method in which that they go about doing that can you know is bringing up these powerful emotions for that for them and humans we can only handle our emotions so much and how many other people are in the room there that are feeling the same emotion that don't have as much control you know, they're going to be leaving an imprint in that area as well. Well, also think about like, 
think about the idea of trying to figure out how to articulate this. It might not necessarily, even if the casting out is successful, there's there are other traumatic side effects to what happened. Like think about like the removal of a malignant tumor. Think about the difficult birth of a child. Right. Think about these things that even if they go successfully and the, the child is born, the tumor is removed, there's still scar tissues. There's still permanent irreparable damage done to the body that was affected, even if the overall procedure is successful. Right. There's still trauma. So in the sense of be, we, I guess what you'd be suggesting there is what resonance really is, is a type of scar that the psychic landscape develops in response to these sorts of events. And yes, exactly. Especially if you think about, you know, we've talked about the differing natures, uh, like, like the, the idea of like universal consciousness or the idea that even objects have a certain type of consciousness Maybe the house is traumatized. Yeah. And I think that and that actually kind of brings me to one of the points that I, I think is interesting and that I think would be something that would be fun to uh, test in the future, which was, you know, going to a place that has that negative resonance that was done by like a Christian priest or somebody like that. Right. There was a, a successful or non-successful exorcism. It doesn't matter. And you go in and purify the area with magic. The, I mean, the big the big issue you're going to face there, which I guess is something that even Tenny brings up in this book, is how do you verify that it worked? We don't. We, I mean, yeah. th without trying it, there, there, you know, there's no way. I, I mean, ultimately, like, yes, I could, you know, let's say the three of us, uh, we went to a place where somehow we found out an exorcism happened in this house and it has some bad juju about it. We went and we uh, lit some candles. We sacrificed a goat, whatever we need to do. I'm not saying we actually do either of those things, but I'm uh, not sacrificing. A goat. No, no, not at all. I, I'll sacrifice like a stuffed goat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's say we go and do that and we feel the resonance change. We feel the air get lighter. We feel as if we succeeded. Ultimately, though, that experience stops there. Right. And what I mean, that's like, yeah, we could go shout on the rooftops and say, we purged this demon taint. And people are going to look at us and be like, get the fuck off my roof. Yeah. No, I mean, realistically, <laughs> in, in, in order to, to bring it to a scientific level, we'd have to find a way to measure the negative residence or resonance yeah. and then be able to show that it's no longer there. Now, is that possible right now? Uh, yeah, that's debatable. No, I don't. I you don't know, think that, that's that I, because the, some people believe in all the you know the different the uh, closest you could technology. That's the word I was thinking of. The closest hmm. you could really get to re measuring before and after in terms of resonance would be. You know, it's like who's living there now, or if it's like you know, like the asylum that Nick and his family went to. It's like. Let, let, let who's like who's visiting it there now and we essentially do like a quick mental health question questionnaire just check-in sheet from those people we get enough of a sample size that we can say definitively the psychology states that people do not dig the vibes in this room perform the cleansing then repeat the experiment hopefully with new groups of people 
And the problem with that is if your if your sample size is a singular family within a singular house and they know we did the cleansing, right. that's all fucked. It's, yeah, it butchers so, the results so immediately. It's, it's interesting though. That is that would actually be a fascinating experiment if we had funding and we knew enough people in uh, the future. Uh, where basically you take a you take you'd have to have several homes. One that an exorcism or some sort of dark event, maybe a mass murder happened in, where you think there's a, a gooky stain. You need a house where maybe there was a lot of love and light, and you need a house that like was just mediocre. Everyone there was mediocre. And then you kind of send control groups through them, and you report back on the feelings they got, the sensations, and then you subject those locations to purification rituals of various faiths. Because another thing I'd be curious to know is, all right, let's say we take a house that had something gooky in there. We perform a purific- a Christian purification. Does that impact how people of a Christian faith feel about that place more than people who aren't? I would be curious to know if maybe the resonance even has a flavor to the point that you, on some subconscious level we could pick up even the faith that originated it. Um, uh, that's just fascinating. I, uh, I would love to run that experiment that no one would ever fund. Yeah. I, I mean, that... <clears throat> maybe, maybe not yet. Maybe the maybe, maybe the hell be- your people will give us money. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't have money. Oh for themselves. no, the hell your people don't have money. As 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 a proud patron of them, you know <laughs> they uh, they they live off the Patreon and things like that in the <laughs> museum. You know, yeah, and all their money is going into Hell Your Season Three. And we can't go I to hope. the fucking Discovery Network and ask for a show because they will force us to falsify our results. <laughs> Quick sidebar. Just so you know, um, there is a new documentary coming out eventually. Um, not necessarily Hell Year Season 3, but with all the same people. Neat. I already know what it's about, but I can't tell you. <gasps> Secrets. Yeah. So I have uh I have one I have one last uh thought building off of, you know, the the metaphor of like what if the house is traumatized and just thinking about like in medicine and in psychology we're attempting to move to a more holistic, more team focused approach to care with the idea of like, of like, you know, the mind, the body, everything is affecting everything else. And if you can afford it, the typical recommendation now when you're giving birth is to have a like a doctor, a nurse, a midwife and possibly also a doula that is separate from the midwife to kind of to kind of be giving that whole holistic approach and it's just kind of building off the idea of you guys said of like going through a house post exorcism and re-cleansing it it's like is is that something that if we had any proof that this is what's going on that that we could start doing of like okay a demon from catholic theology was possessing a person in this house we brought in a priest he drove the demon out we sent the priest away and now it's time for the clairvoyant or the energy worker right. or the crystal worker to come through a person who is focused on either the metaphysical energy of the space or dealing with the trauma of the physical objects yeah. in the space that's in within the own space. And it's like, okay, now it's time for my part of this because I'm here to mop up what this exorcism that you, that you did here, what it did to the house, because right. like birth, like the removal of a tumor from someone's brain, exorcism is messy and violent and should only be performed when absolutely necessary by people who know what they're doing. 
and it's traumatic for everyone involved, quite possibly including the demon. So we need more magical janitors. Yes, I'd, I'd be I'd be really curious to try this 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 whole idea. So we need to write this down, like as a well, I guess we don't need to write it down because it's, it's recorded. recorded forever. But uh, yeah, no, I think that that could be um, a really fun experiment, and uh, I want to do it. I, I will say this, by the way, uh, on the topic of traumatizing the demon, I I did think about <laughs> I was thinking a little bit about John Keel because um, <laughs> Tenny name drops him in here at one point. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, John Keel, I, it, just thinking about the idea of, though, of these demons, I do. There's a part of me that does wonder, you know, I, and I think this is even something that Tenny might have brought up. I don't remember. I know I've read it before, but um, that. You know, what if there was something there in the house and by all these people coming in and saying, that's a demon, that's a demon. The thing in there, which might have not been a ghost or a demon or anything, it might have just been one of John Tenney's ultra terrestrial, extra dimensional, could trickster God things. It's saying, well, you want a demon. Okay, I guess I'll just start frothing at the mouth and rolling my eyes back and being a demon yeah. because that is the belief you're putting forth for me. I mean, that kind of coincides with uh, one of the, the misconceptions about demons that Tenny does bring up in the book that demons like demons are everywhere. Well, maybe they're everywhere because we think they're everywhere. So the phenomenon is making whatever these entities are act more, be more like demons. Yeah. Oh, like that whole statistic you said where the Catholic Church handles 10 to 20 legitimate cases per year, and yet you have eight different shows on the Discovery Channel, and every other episode they're finding a demon. Right. That's one of the things I love about Kindred Spirits over a lot of other paranormal shows is that it's, I don't think it's ever been a demon yet and where I'm at in the show. No, they, it seems like it's a, you know, every the bits I've seen from when you're watching it seem like it's a much more em empathetic show Yeah, in the sense of they have a lot more uh, well, kindness for the spirits. Their, their goal isn't to banish the ghost or anything. It's to make the people feel comfortable. And I appreciate the hell out of that. Yeah. There's a lot of the times on that show when I watched it with you where like they get to the end of the investigation and the family's like, hey, um, so while you were like compiling the results and doing post-production, like everything just kind of stopped. And they're like, yeah, that happens a lot because we it, and it usually means we figured out who this ghost was and we've managed to articulate to you guys how they were feeling and why they were doing that stuff and giving them that voice just seems to be the only thing that a lot of them need to move on and I that makes a lot of sense to me because like how many times have you guys in your lives been angry about something and the minute you articulated to somebody else I am angry this is why I am angry and then that person goes you have every right to be angry about that that sucks I'm so sorry and then that anger just, just gone it's like it, it, just, it's like it evaporates yeah. yeah, and of course it would work that same way with ghosts because, like I said earlier, they're just dead people. They're just yeah. traumatized which, dead people. Which, you know, goes back to the confrontation thing. I, You know, uh, if someone comes into your house screaming at you, you're not going to react well. Yeah. Um, although I, I was thinking uh, while, while I was reading these sections of the book, I, I just once want to see one of these shows like Ghost Adventures or something where they're walking through and they're screaming, come at me, ghost. And they're pounding on the walls and just shrieking. And then just a full body apparition steps out of the wall in front of them and just screams, what? Some people work in the morning. <laughs> steps out and just fucking clotheslines one of them. <laughs> 
just oh. like a portal opens up and fucking Stolas from Hell of a Boss <laughs> is just rising out. I think if that happened on on a on a Discovery <laughs> Channel television show, I think at the point I'm just walking into a lake. Like at that point, I, I don't know how to process my reality anymore. <laughs> I would be showing the footage to my father on a loop and screaming, "Dismiss this, Jeffrey! Dismiss this!" And he would. He would immediately <laughs> need to disown me for believing it in the first place. CGI. God damn it, father. Like, you understand. There's going to be a video someday of like a, a UFO landing, opening up and Bigfoot and a ghost and a gray skipping out arm in arm. And it's going to be real 8K footage. And someone's just some asshole online. Is just gonna, it's CGI and move on. Everyone's going to believe him. And it's like, I was at their gay polyamorous wedding. I can show you the invitation. <laughs> CGI, you're a plant. What? You're a plant. Disinformation not, campaign. I'm a mammal, sir. You're a ficus. What? <laughs> Moving on. Oh, no. <laughs> Let's talk about modern magic. Cool. Or we could not. I'm kidding. I'm so excited for you. John talks about in modern day magic, just how prevalent magic is around us, but maybe not in the way you think. When many people think of magic, they think of ritual circles, chanting, and maybe even blood sacrifices. But what Mr. Tenney is talking about is how magic is being used every day, and maybe even to those who are performing said magic don't even know. He gives the example of a football game. Two teams come together to play a game. They brought with them their coaches, or elders, who provide secrets to the players to outperform the other team's elders, or coaches, the fans wear inside-out baseball caps, chant the teams or the players' names. They pray to every god they know to see victory, and they do it all with the purest intentions. When home field advantage is the crowd, how can we not say that they are blessing their team with magic? He goes on to talk about how even more prevalent magic is, as, according to Tenney, one could argue that modern-day advertisement is magic. The goal of advertisement is to get someone who likely has no interest in said product to buy the product. From catchy jingles to hiring your favorite celebrity to sell you on something they don't believe in, they are doing whatever it takes to get into your head and your wallet. Corporations use symbols, words, tone, and intention to sell their product. They make millions of people worldwide go from not wanting a product to wanting it, sometimes more than anything they'd wanted before. How can we say that that's not magic? So with that in mind, we'll go to discussion question number two. How do we feel about this thought process? Do you believe that corporations and people are unintentionally participating in or casting using magic? Is it more of corporations or these teams playing off our psychology than them using magic? Or is it the same thing? What do you think? So I don't think advertising is magic. <laughs> necessarily i i i think there i think he's drawing some very interesting parallels to the idea of modern magic and you could you could definitely use that as a lens of interpretation to look at a lot of our modern advertising and our modern political stuff um the reason that i don't call it magic necessarily is because we have a we have a measurable concrete response that is external 
we can measure the effect of advertising campaigns and political slogans and social movements uh, from from a sociological, economic and psychological perspective. We can, again, stimulus response. We can we can define the subject, the stimulus and the response that comes from it. And it's all external. Like a lot of the a lot of other psychological like magic stuff, like like the thing with the teams or performing an internal cleansing ritual to get rid of your uh, your own negative energy. The effects from that are measurable and they're there, but they're internal caused by your own psychology. I guess the the <clears throat> I like the I like the comparison with teams, right? Yeah. Because there is a known advantage in sports to home field advantage, right? But the outside of just knowing the field, the only advantage is that the crowd is cheering for you and you're playing off of that energy. Yes. So I think one of the points that uh, John Tenney was trying to make is that in a lot of ways, advertisement does the same thing. It gets you to feel those same feelings. It's just with a different goal, not to win the game, but rather to buy the product. Interesting. And and again, I don't I don't necessarily disagree with what he is saying in that chapter. And I can absolutely see how he got to that conclusion. Um, But that's where you get really bogged down into the terms of like, what does magic even mean anymore? Especially when, you know, we default to the to the catch all of magic is things that we are aware are happening, but we can't explain them yet through other forms of science, then yes, advertising and political shit, all of that is magic. It is the direct heir to what to the magic that grew into what we call psychology. Right. I mean, in its own way, right, uh, being a public speaker, you're almost performing magic because your goal is to make somebody feel an emotion. Right. Like I, I would I would argue that poetry is magic in its own right, because the goal is I'm saying these words in a in, in a form. Right. In order for you to feel something or see yeah, something, you are or, speaking an incantation and causing a response. Yeah, exactly. And I kind of see it as a, as a sit in a similar light um, based on what he was saying. I don't necessarily think all advertisement. Right is magic because some of it's bullshit and it's very easy to see through that. But there are some things that they do. They catch me off guard, you know, and then it, and then it is, it's like, well, fuck, I want this. And it's all I can think about. It's almost like it just ingrained itself into my brain. So, you know, like a crystal ball, for example, it wasn't even advertisement. I saw somebody use it and I went, I need this more than anything else in the world right now, you know? So one one thing I did want to say to uh, challenge something Jay said about it not being measurable, I did want to bring up the 2016 study where basically what they did is uh, they took a bunch of small American cities and they trained 1% of their population in transcendental meditation and had them engage in daily meditation towards peace and prosperity within their community. Um, and then they compared that to control cities. And what they found was an average 21.2% reduction in homicides in every city where that happened. What the fuck? Yeah, this isn't. And the FBI was involved in this study. This is a known thing. This has been studied what for a while. What the fuck? And that is magic. It is a, but it is measurable magic. <laughs> oh my God. Um, 
Now the other, oh my the, God. yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I, I I had my own brain explode when yeah, I read that. Jay's mind just went. <laughs> um, and on the honestly, on the topic of advertising, though, it made me think of egregores. Okay. So what egregores are, uh, for those who don't know, it is this concept in certain uh, branches of magic. Specifically, I hear about it most in chaos magic, but yep. it technically doesn't just belong to chaos magic. Uh, it is this concept that if you take a symbol or an idea or a character, even a fictional character, and you get millions and millions of people kind of focusing their will towards it, meditating upon it, looking at it, you are creating a very real and powerful entity that represents that kind of in the, I guess, mental scape or the other realms, the spirit world, whatever you want to call it. Um, and what? And at some point, these mega aggregators, uh, mega egregores that's a tongue twister uh they will become autonomous they'll start doing things on their own to propagate their own identities and that's what i was thinking of with this is what is creating a brand you are creating something which goes beyond your products beyond what you do i mean for the love of god we all have known since we were in high school that disney uh you has used slave labor they've fucking had people killed they've done all these horrible things and yet we're still swallowing up these marvel movies we're still ingesting it because the brand is bigger than the actions that they that the people who make it did um and i think that that's that is to me a very real uh kind of magic uh it is a way to make people kind of look past themselves and and accept these things as just well, i mean they're self-evident you, you go you're in this you're in this culture you go to marvel movies you enjoy star wars you know you are every maybe as a kid you got taken to disneyland and there's such a point especially here in america they're so ingrained in this kind of cultural identity that we don't question it and i think there is a there is a sort of magic to that and similarly like you're saying with poetry i think uh writing is the it's one of the oldest and strongest forms of magic in the sense that, okay, so you could take somebody who is sitting in a concrete box and they have no window, they have no one to talk to, and you give them a stack of books and suddenly in their mind, they can go elsewhere. They can talk to other people. They can experience other things. Um, and I say that as someone who, for a long portion of my childhood, uh, was kept, I felt like I was kept sane by books. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, um, I wholeheartedly feel that too. And it's, I mean, I, I probably shouldn't say with my childhood. In my existence, including today, I have been kept sane by books. Um, and I, I think that... Once you broaden your mindset away from the robes and the candles, I mean, yes, I think that that is a, a valid ritual. Magic is a valid form of magic. I just think it's a lot rarer and I think it's a lot more difficult than a lot of people think because it's it's kind of taking that natural everyday magic we do that lucky rabbit's foot that wearing your lucky cap when you're cheering for your team and it. And it focuses it. You're taking those kind of passive actions you're doing and making it into an active a willful exercise in trying to enforce your will or your collective will of your with the group upon reality. Uh, but ultimately I see both things as taking part in the same basic cosmic mechanism is, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like going to a convention is just participating in a larger ritual for whatever that convention is about. Yeah. Or I mean, I, I, again, this is something Teddy brings up prayer. Yeah. How prayer is in its own way uh, magic. You are communing with the higher spirit world, with your chosen deity. Now, another another thing I'll also bring up is a lot of uh, a lot of religions. Their prayers are not this free form talking to God thing. It is set incantations. It yep. is set phrases you repeat over and over again, like mantras. 
and that's at, just that's just straight up magic. That is the, what magical traditions do. Look at the Catholic Church. When you're after you do confession, you are told to do so many Our Fathers and Hail Marys. Yeah, no, it is in my mind. I mean, Catholicism, like we've said on the show a couple times. They have not, in my opinion, lost a bit of their magical roots. They are, in many ways, an openly practicing secret school. So, so in comparative theology, that ju- that there is, first of all, fun fact, um, comparative theology, like all other forms of academia, spends the majority of its time screaming at each other, red in the face, about the definition of the most basic terms that make up our lexicon. Mm. For instance... No theologian in the world is actually going to be able to give you a definition of religion. It's like you ask me, it's like, what is a religion? What makes a religion? I will laugh at you and then cry because I don't know. <laughs> and none of my teachers knew and none of my mentors do. And none of the academics that I've read knew. What we're a little bit better at is defining the difference between magic and religion. There is a thought in some more minor in some sub theories of the larger academic field. There are some people, mostly white men from Europe in the 1800s who are like, magic is the proteological ooze from which glorious religion grows when a, when a society passes by its own savagery. And it's like, shut the fuck up. No, it's not. <laughs> what the actual there are there are two definitions of magic versus religion that I like. Um, and one is basically community versus uh, individualistic. That religion is defined by a it's defined by like whatever else you want to define religion by, which is belief in gods, belief in whatever. And it, that exists to serve like serve the community and kind of keep everyone working as a collective whole and to sort of preserve the traditions of that community, that culture, those people, whereas magic is tends to be purely individualistic or much smaller scale for people, for smaller groups of people within the community or even a singular person. Um, The second definition that I like is religion is simply the profession in a belief of supernatural, metaphysical or spiritual beings that exist beyond our own world. Magic is the step beyond that, where you attempt to take those metaphysical forces, bring them under your control and exert them into the world to have your will be done. So. That's kind of that's kind of where I the reason I bring that up is because of what Nick was saying about like that prayer is in many ways just a spell, just form of ritual magic. And that the Catholic Church in many ways is just a secret practicing secret school of magic. And that's where I think that those definitions become important because the Catholic Church is distinctly not individualistic. The Catholic Church exists as an institution to preserve a specific cultural identity and withhold and uphold the hierarchy that exists within it. So, yes, Catholic the Catholic Church utilizes a lot of what we would define as magic, but they have they have utilized that magic in order to uphold a cultural institution. And that is personally where I kind of draw like draw that distinction but yes in many ways the catholic church is a secret school of mages but they are mages that they are mages focused on again 
the upholding of a specific cultural identity and the and all of the things that come along with it. So they have made that step beyond and necessarily a magical school and have become what we need to define as a religion, according to the schools of thought that I occupy. They they are um, uh, just a specific path of wizard. But yes. it, it reminds me of the old Greek mystery traditions that we read about with secret teachers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, where they were pretty much openly practicing magical cults. Openly in that, yeah, you might not know where they meet, but you know they're there. That You know they're around. You know who's involved. You know, hey, I don't know where they meet, but that cave sure sounds fun, and I see lights coming from inside it. Maybe they're having a party. Maybe I'll get invited if I'm cool enough, but I'm never cool enough. <laughs> they they talk about all of their all of their gods and deities and these fucking code names. <laughs> <laughs> I worship Brian. <laughs> you mean Zeus, don't you? Shut I up. mean Brian. <laughs> Just punches you in the face and runs oh. away. Oh jeez, not again. Well, ultimately for me, I I I um I agree with both of you guys here. Like for the, for, for, you know, back to the, the initial question. Um, I just thought this whole thing was a really interesting way to look at magic as a whole and how it's kind of slipped into where aspects of what used to be just considered magic have slipped into our everyday life and we've almost forgotten or didn't, don't even see it anymore. Yeah. You know, you, you know as an example that popped in my head, Rory, both you and I do this. Uh, anytime we pass underneath a yellow light, we slap the roof of yep. our car. Yep. No reason. There is no purpose behind it. At this point, I just do it automatically. Yep. And I've been it, doing it for years. It's and... mad. That's magic. Yep. Or uh, my little hand spin when we're larping in person before yep. I draw a card. I do my I do my little hand spin. Nick, how you sl- stomp your foot? Magic's yeah. fucking weird. The world is fucking weird. We don't. We. I. I keep harping on this. We don't actually understand nearly as much as we think we do. We don't understand anything. Like, I would be shocked if we actually had a firm grasp on 1% of what the actual totality of reality is. We we just found out, like, in the last two months, fucking botanists have said, hey, uh, you, you know this super common flower, just this scrub trash weed flower that grows everywhere in urban centers just cracking up through the sidewalk? And everyone's like, yeah? And it's like, did you know it's carnivorous? And they're like, what? It's like, yeah, we didn't know that either. It turns out these things have been eating flies for like a billion fucking years and we just never noticed huh that's interesting that's fascinating i didn't hear about that i'm gonna look that up that's interesting new carnivorous plant just dropped like (laughs) (laughs) yeah god released the dlc yeah hottest (laughs) new album of 2021 (laughs) carnivorous plant or carnivorous plant just wait just wait till 2022 we're getting flaming mosquitoes oh God. god i'm so tired of god retconning basic facts of the environment speaking of uh the world and not knowing things. Let's talk about conspiracy theories. Ooh, yes. that was a nice subtle. It wasn't subtle. That was a burn. Yeah, yeah. So in a couple chapters of this book, uh, John Tenney writes about conspiracy theories. He even calls himself a conspiracy theorist. However, like so much in this world, others have ruined this. Some yell loud and make less sense. They aren't engaging in intelligent thought or trying to better our world. Their goal, it seems is to ostracize and exclude others from their self-made reality. People look for a leader, and currently, at least in the eyes of Tenney, those that lead the modern-day conspiracy zealots 
Call anyone who thinks different sheep and hide behind a paywall. John Tenney reminds us that there is a difference between conspiracy theorists and conspiracy zealots. Now, Tenney believes that those that are a part of the conspiracy community, if you can believe that there's a community, are crazy, not because of what they think. And I'm sure, even me, I'm sure that, they, that some of them have valid thoughts, but it's rather how they act. And I actually want to read a section of the book here because I love how Tenney writes it. He says, Sheep may be easily herded in the pens, following blindly in any direction, but they also bleat incredibly loud, and most of the time is because they are simply confused, scared, and not intelligent enough to know what's going on. At least sheep are not cruel. Sheep cannot wish death on other sheep. They do not demand other sheep be slaughtered first or purposefully push other sheep into the killing rooms because they were born in a different country. Unfortunately, in those last two examples, people are most definitely not sheep. Later in the book, he tells us a story about a lecture that he did in downtown Detroit. This was after he had run and lost a mayoral campaign in his hometown and also after 9-11. He had talked during the lecture about conspiracy theories. Someone in the crowd had then asked if he believed that 9-11 was part of a conspiracy, a question that he refused to answer. Now, did he want to talk about 9-11? Yes, but he didn't. His reasoning was his mentor years ago had instilled in him a calmness when dealing with tragedies. First and foremost, we have to take care of each other. And while there were so many people who were still suffering from the tragedy of 9-11, it wasn't the time or the place. His work now was that of a historian to collect and compile information and research, research, research. Now, moving into our third discussion question, I believe in our own way we're all a little bit of conspiracy theorists in our own right. At least I know I would say that I am. I believe in things that aren't fully acknowledged by the government or other people, like aliens. But I also believe that there are some crazy conspiracy theories out there, like QAnon. So here's my question. Do things like QAnon that by their nature are ostracizing and dangerous to some people belong under the same umbrella as other conspiracies? What are your thoughts in general on conspiracy theorists versus conspiracy zealots? Um, okay, so I'm going to kind of try to take that apart. Uh, one thing, I do not consider myself a conspiracy theorist. I consider myself a conspiracy enthusiast because while I consume them, I don't make them. True. Um. And I will say that uh, also because I don't I well, there are many conspiracies that I think are conspiracy theories that I think are compelling. I always leave room for what I don't for not knowing what I don't know. And so I don't that's kind of what makes you a conspiracy theorist versus a zealot. Oh, okay. Well, I guess then that I guess that's what I am now. Uh, But regarding the question of, I guess, the more dangerous conspiracies that we've been seeing in the news recently. Um, I absolutely believe they belong under the same umbrella for a couple reasons. Uh, Number one, I think it's important for us to always have a sign right there to remind us of what we could become. (laughs) Um, And I I mean that because the toxicity of QAnon, of the reptilian people, of 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 the more violent or misogynistic or racist conspiracy theories. um, 
that toxicity exists in the other ones too. It exists in every group, but I feel like it somehow gets more concentrated in uh, conspiracy circles. And I think a big re- reason reason for that is because one thing that conspiracy theories do is they very uh, nicely give you permission to think whatever you want as long as you can bookend that belief in a couple of facts. And what I mean by that is, is you could say, well, I know that this politician left for Cuba for three months and, ve- and no one really knows what he was up to. And I also know I have this hotel receipt from a hotel a Cuban general was staying at that the, that the politician might have also stayed at. So clearly that politician was there working with that Cuban general to overthrow the U.S. president. And what I mean by that is you, you could take these little bits and just fill the void with whatever your own belief is. And again, like John Keel, once you have that belief, it becomes settled and you will defend it. Um, and I, I think it's important that uh, we, we keep that in mind because, I mean, all of these things, even the alien conspiracies we've talked about, uh, Bigfoot cover-ups, all these different neat paranormal conspiracies that I kind of think of as the fun conspiracies, um, they're still – they could still turn violent. They could still um, – lead us down a very dark path if we're not careful. So I think that absolutely needs to be under the same umbrella because putting it off in its own corner will not only make it so that, you know, we might not notice when that similar rot begins to spread in other circles, but also I think innately by isolating them, it's only going to make that those problems worse. We need to work towards being more, uh, as much as it hurts me to say this, those people have on some level been um, brainwashed. They've been hurt. They've been, and the, and they are currently probably feeling if I, a lot of fear and anxiety over things that may or may not be true. I'm leaning towards not true. Um, and I, that's not a condition I want anyone to live in. So we should, if we are given the opportunity to help them, but that said, a lot of them will never give you that opportunity. And that's, yeah. that's fine. Um, kind of like something that uh that tenny says in one of his later essays about the more like weirdo things like everybody is kind of at a different journey mm-hmm. and where they're at and what they believe in the weirdness mm-hmm. right it, it kind of goes the same with these conspiracy theorists where they're at we don't we don't necessarily know where their mentality is otherwise so it's almost like a kill them with kindness kind of deal yeah, it's just you hope they don't kill you with their AR-15. Right. Yeah, but um, right. no, there was a quote from Tenny that also struck a chord. And I actually wrote down the sheep uh, quote that you just read, because if you didn't bring it up, I was going to. This is a great little section. Uh, but John Tenney, while talking about the conspiracy, conspiracies, have said, I've watched as conspiracy theorists have become insane. Like any money-making ve- venture, those who scream the loudest, act the silliest, and take arms, sometimes violently, are elevated to positions of leadership. And uh, again, that is kind of in line with what I've been saying here. Um, just with that extra element of leadership, I think it is also important that we uh, take a close look at the people that we're allowing to be the loudest voices on any of these topics, really on any topic ever, not just conspiracies. And uh, I think I think that's a big reason why people are so disaffected with their politicians and things like that is because you know it's been a joke since I've been a kid. Uh, every election is a choice between two turds because the shit bobs to the surface of the toilet bowl. Um, and I, I don't know, kind of go back to we will never have peace in this world till we figure out how to keep power out of the hands of people who want it. Um, 
But anyway, I will let Jay talk because I'm going off on a completely different diatribe now. So the only conspiracy that I ever got into, and I was into it for about a month and a half, and then I went, wait, this is crazy. <laughs> I just backed mm-hmm. out of that was uh, DCL gate, which I got sucked into by Tumblr. I sincerely <laughs> I sincerely believe for a hot minute there that there was a secret good version of the supernatural finale. And we just had to bully the CW into letting us see it. Yeah. I was, uh, quarantine has changed us all. I was very <laughs> depressed. Um, I felt really bad for Misha Collins. I had some friends who were still in the fandom and they were like, they knew how to exploit the autism and the angry <laughs> queerness in a way where I was. And in my defense, uh, I won the argument in Spanish in the end. Um, <laughs> It, th- that <laughs> sentence is not going to mean a goddamn thing to any of our listeners. Uh, so basically, there was this whole thing with the Supernatural series. Now, don't watch it. Don't watch the show. Don't even begin it. It's not worth Seriously, it. Seriously, don't. Um, but it's anyway, at the end, there had been a lot of uh, unresolved sexual tension between two of the male characters that apparently a large portion of the fandom really wanted to be gay together. And the production team of Supernatural has accidentally admitted on several occasions that that was queer baiting. Yeah, and basically there was uh, when the Mexican version of the final episode was released, there were a couple lines in there that weren't in the American version confirming that relationship. And so uh, Jay won in Spanish. I just I just want to point out I can't believe we're talking about Supernatural. On, I, like the, the title of the show, yeah, it makes sense, sure, but like we're talking about conspiracy theories well, and supernatural. I, there's a lot I, of crossover. <laughs> I'm just telling you, it's the one conspiracy that conspiracy theory I got legitimately sucked into was fucking DSTL gate. Not that and, Avril Lavigne has been killed and replaced. No, I don't believe that shit. You're the one who told me it. I told it to you because I saw that it was out there and I thought, hey, Nick will think this is funny. I don't want to be labeled a fucking Avril Lavigne truther. I don't care that much about Avril Lavigne. Well, please excuse me. I need to go quickly to the post office before my hate mail is delivered. You were sending me hate mail. <laughs> you were, I live in your house. It's just a, it's just a dirty newspaper with the word fraud written in red paint across it. <laughs> what the fuck do you think I am? Uh, no, not you. I'm going to send that to Avril Lavigne. Oh, never mind. Okay, yeah, fine. No, go ahead and no, send you can mail. Send I don't give a shit. You can, okay, she, you can, I don't send hate mail to Avril Lavigne. She's, <laughs> don't, just don't send hate mail. She's just a woman doing her job, and she is who she says she is. Like, Jesus Christ. Okay, so we we have thoroughly derailed you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Pulling it back in. Um, Do you remember the question? Yes, you were asking <laughs> if QAnon and other conspiracy... If, if QAnon is in a separate category from other conspiracy theories, or if they're all just kind of under the same umbrella of, oh, God, somebody put a stop to this. I mean, that's not what I would label it, but sure, yeah. So, so anyway... um. This is difficult for me because I do not I am not aware of a definition of conspiracy theorist that does not directly mean a person who is making wild accusations based mostly on speculations and their own bigotry. Um, I am I am not 
that that is a mental block for me. That is not a world that I inhabit. And it's it's one of those things where it's like when you I come across something that seems to have a lot of real world evidence and can be pointed as like, no, this is a thing that happened. I'm like, so then that's not a conspiracy theory anymore. That's just a crime. And I, I think QAnon is in a special category just because it has become so mainstream and so many otherwise rational people have latched onto it so hard, like, you know, fucking Pizzagate and the fact that every third person on my Facebook feed is um, screaming about how you can tell that JCPenney is uh, trafficking kids by the code words. And it's like, no, they're just describing shoes. I can promise you that's just shoes. But I, I think all almost all conspiracy theories are, in a sense, inherently dangerous just because they they utilize their communities use a lot of cult tactics like you like you mentioned QAnon being inherently isolating and divisive that getting into QAnon slowly just rips you away from everyone else in your life and that's a cult thing and most conspiracy theory communities do that at least a little bit and that is because of the air of suspicion that they naturally have to adopt of it's like I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to think of another one it's like if you if you legitimately believe that the queen of England is in a satanic cult and she's routinely raping children, which was a thing people believed well before QAnon, then it makes it difficult for you to trust anyone. And also, if you believe something that terrible is going on and you can't get the other people in your life to listen to you, you start to become angry because you think an injustice is being done and you think nobody is doing anything about it. And look at that guy that literally went to the pizza place with Pizzagate and he was going to shoot up the place. Yeah. Like he even admits it. Like he had the full intention of going in there finding the basement and shooting up the place. And then he got there and there is no basement and there was no kids. And thank God he didn't shoot anybody. Yeah. And, and it's, I, th- I think what Nick said about like, like killing those people with kindness or of kind of looking at them as mentally ill and damaged people that need support. Like that is, that is something we should be doing more because unfortunately like that that cult tactic that i was talking about that essentially drives these people further and further into the arms of the community that is actively brainwashing and abusing them part of the reason that works is because when someone on my facebook page starts spouting off about the fucking jc penny kitty porn ring i unfriend them and block them and it's because I'm too exhausted to deal with it, but also at the same time, it's like, okay, that is now one less voice that they have in their circle that is putting reasonable thoughts into their head. That is one less person that they can potentially turn to and go like, am I crazy? And get the gentle response of, you're not crazy. You've been severely misled and your trauma and your mental pathologies are also misleading you because both of those things are feeding into each other 
And that's that's part of why, like, hearing the term conspiracy theorist just makes my heart squeeze up because I, I, I they are another form of cult to me. They are a form. It, it, they are just they are a wider spread version of a cult. In my interpretation, people who study conspiracy theories the way I study cults, I beg of you on Twitter and Tumblr, correct me. But they seem more like a cult where there's a wider variety of charismatic leaders and the cultic ideas are more around the theory and the community does the thought control abuse tactics for them by creating that by creating that air of isolation and suspicion. And I want to try and get past that. I want to start understanding that, like, the Free Britney movement, that came from conspiracy theorists who were avid Britney fans that were studying her and her life and started going, hey, some shit here isn't adding up. It's it's the same. The, the revelation about Disney slave labor, that likely came from conspiracy theorists initially doing the same thing of like things aren't adding up here and like you know there's there's other people of like the princess diana truthers and the you know the people who are convinced that katie perry is john bonnet ramsey or whatever it <laughs> Wait, is what I, I might be conflating that with the avril lavigne thing but i saw a thing online that was like john bonnet ramsey didn't die that was a doll and she grew up raised in isolation somewhere else and now she's katie perry <laughs> it's like my that's God, re- that's really confusing for Katy Perry's parents who gave birth to her. Yeah, nope, implanted memories. Jesus fucking Christ. There we go. But yeah, and so uh, I get circling back to your original question, Rory. Is I I do think that QAnon is in a not necessarily in a category of its own but it's absolutely in a league of its own and i'm not and i think that it's because interesting that we were talking about advertising earlier because qanon is like the perfectly engineered conspiracy theory particularly in the time that it sprang up in true because and it's like it was intentional yeah and yeah because a lot of these things are Mm -hmm. absolutely and so i think it's definitely in a league of its own and i think that the communities that have sprung up on QAnon are distinctly much closer to just being straight up cults than in a lot of other conspiracy theories but like John Tenney said, I think at one point this may have been a more legitimate, more reasonable and level headed field. But because people saw that they could make money and gain power from it, it's been subsumed into this gelatinous mass of vulnerable, traumatized, easily manipulated people that are essentially being turned into weapons by greedy, bigoted assholes. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I... uh I I agree that like all conspiracy theories right should be under the same umbrella but I I also think that there is a there is a there needs to be a distinction between conspiracy theories that have valid actual evidence behind it like let's say the like UFOs right there there is some significant evidence that a cover up happened we don't know of what but a cover up did happen there there is there we know we know for a fact that cover ups mm-hmm. have happened yeah like right yeah like we know that things like this exist 
And we know that these conspiracies exist or existed, right? Mm -hmm. But I believe that there needs to be a distinction between something like the UFO conspiracy and QAnon or the queen, the queen being a satanic cannibal, what, or whatever the fuck, because lumping them under the same umbrella makes it harder for somebody who is legitimately trying to research UFO or paranormal phenomena to ever get funding because they're like, no, you're under the same umbrella as QAnon. Well, and I, I don't disagree with that. I think that is a major difficulty, but the, the, I guess where I'll push back on that is Heaven's Gate. Uh, is that we have seen UFO cults spring up that have led to real fatalities. I'm not saying that yeah. there isn't that there isn't um, like that. It's not going to be dangerous because every section of conspiracy theory is dangerous. So my where Jay went to cults, my mind went to gangs. OK, OK. Gangs try to one of the biggest things about a gang is they try to instill one the same mentality within you and a sense of camaraderie and family. All right. Every conspiracy theory that builds up like QAnon has the exact same mentality. They try to build the community, the same kind of mentality, and they call them, they call each other family. It is all over the cue boards, like all over them. It's the same exact mentality. So that's going to happen no matter what. It's just separating literal garbage bullshit with no factual basis. It's just made up words. Versus something that actually has potential for actual gain in this world. Sure. And I, I think the uh, well, and I think that we start to see that when one of these topics begins to get legitimized. What I mean by that is MK Ultra was a kooky conspiracy theory until real academics started looking at it. Right. Aliens, kooky conspiracy theory. Now they're on Fox News, TMZ. It's, you know, the whole idea of UAPs. It's becoming very prevalent in our modern pop culture. And I think that's where the transition happens. Yeah. Uh, one thing I will say, though, because we're talking about cults, gangs. I think the big takeaway for me on any of this is it doesn't matter what conspiracy culture you're in. It really doesn't even matter what you're in. It could be your knitting club. Always watch out for the person who's saying that, A, I have the truth. Yep. And B, we are a family that the whole idea of once you start building the walls between your insular group and the outside world, you are being taken down a very dark rabbit hole that from what we've seen in history usually ends terribly. Now, I, the only disclaimer I'll put on that is uh, that that doesn't mean don't like if you have like found family, that's that's a totally separate thing. Don't think of it like that, because like I consider I consider Nick my family. But that's not the same thing. Yeah. It, when I tell Rory to drink the poison Kool-Aid, Rory knows there's a good reason. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. It, and it's 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 basically the other thing to watch out for is if you enter into groups like this, into conspiracy groups like this, like Nick said, uh, the biggest red flag is if people saying we are the only ones with the truth and you can't trust anybody else. Yeah. That is it's when they're separating, trying to separate you from the people that you had prior to whatever this this train of thought is. Yes. And also just if you are in a situation with a group of people and there is like one person or a small group of people within that larger group that you get the distinct feeling that if you express disagreement uh, with them, even in private to other people that you trust, if you get the distinct feeling that that's something you should not do and that there is 
and that you feel afraid of consequences for doing that, that's at the very least a healthy, an unhealthy environment. That's <clears throat> that is at the very least a group with cult like tendencies. You should always feel free to again at the very least in private you should feel like you're not going to be kicked out or get the shit kicked out of you for saying like hey i think brad's a bit of a dummy can we talk about the fact that brad's a dummy like if 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 other people's response to you saying i think brad might be a dummy is you're a pedophile who works for satan maybe you should just leave. Maybe you don't need to listen to Brad's opinions at all. Well, I mean, and also I would say if, uh, if it's not allowed for you to, I mean, conspiracy thought is all grounded in question your reality, right? Yes. Uh, when you're, when the conspiracy circle you're in, uh, flips from question your reality to don't question my interpretation, yeah. uh, you have a problem yeah. there. And that, and Tenny talks about this, uh, ideally these communities are, should be built around mutual constant evolution of understanding, constant questioning. And again, go back to John Keel to not be settled into your beliefs. Yep. Don't believe anything, entertain Everything. the possibilities. Yep. Um, and I think that that is a healthier way to go about it because it leaves you open to these stranger ideas, which as Jay correctly pointed out, have led to real discoveries that have changed our understanding of our world. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to end up off in the woods LARPing Star Trek with a UFO cult. Yeah. Or yeah. washing Billy Myers' feet or whatever he has yeah. his cult do. Or moving to Guyana to, to build a farm in the jungle while a man from, well, from a man from fucking Indianapolis is screaming about how he's the new Jesus Christ. Don't do that. Yeah, don't. Don't go, don't go with a, don't go, don't follow an evangelical to a secondary continent. So in the last essay of the book titled Weirdo, John Tenney describes how he came up a weirdo. Like so many before and after him, his hometown saw weirdos as the outsiders, those that marched to the beat of their own drum, the thinkers, the dreamers, and so many more, but with a lot more negative words. <laughs> Tenney didn't let the word own him. He saw being a weirdo as a good thing, maybe even the best thing. He embraced it and now uses it to greet those around him, opening up most of his lectures with a, hey, weirdos, calling unaware friends weirdos, just name-dropping weirdos. Like I read in the opening, he owned it, turning what was or is an insult into something more, letting those of us that are the misfits, the thinkers, the dreamers, the weirdos be just that. In the essay, he talks about the history of the word, starting as weird, W-Y-R-D, which in the 1400s was used to describe those that were unlike everyone else, people who rejected the norms of the day and did what they wanted to do. But like today, it was meant as an insult. When John Tenney calls you a weirdo, he's saying he appreciates you for who you are. When he calls you a weirdo, he's saying that he appreciates the hardships that you have no doubt encountered. When he calls you a weirdo, he's saying that he appreciates your uniqueness, your thoughts, your passions, because he knows how difficult it is to be different. And in The State of the Unusual 2019, he presents four goals that even two years later, I feel that we can take to heart. Number one, diversify your weirdness. The phenomenon is huge. Don't back yourself into a corner by sticking with one topic. If you like Bigfoot, 
read Mothman. If you like aliens, read Bigfoot. And number two, continue to not know. If you believe that you have found the answer to the phenomenon, you're doing it wrong. Let your best guess get better. Don't stay stagnant in your knowledge. And number three, remember you got weirder. Others can too. Just because someone pushes back doesn't mean that they all will. You, me, us, we didn't start this weird, but we got here. Remember, we're all in this together, so if someone is just starting off, ease them into that higher strangeness. Don't knock them off their rock. And number four, your weird story is enough. Your story is important, and just as important as any other. Just because you weren't abducted doesn't take any value away from your experience. And like in another less-than-a-page-long story, Tenny reminds us that it's okay for us to just like weird shit. Damn straight. So for the last discussion question, I want to go over kind of that. You know, a common theme in this book is the idea of being that weirdo. And all three of us at least have all called each other weirdos at some point, probably on this show and definitely in life. So knowing now how Tenny looks at it, do you think that you're a weirdo? And what does that mean to you now that you've read this book? I mean, I think it kind of, um, the cat's out of the bag. We're on episode six now. No, sorry. 10. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I think we're, we're, we're in, um, I think we're weirdos. Yeah. I think I've been a weirdo for my whole life. Um, I've been reading about UFOs since I was a little kid. Um, I will say this, that that list of goals, when I was reading that, Man, I I definitely felt every single one of those just because it yeah. a lot of t what Tenny writes. The reason I like him so much is his kind of more relaxed approach to this, to his own ideas. It it much is it's much more in line with how I tend to view it. Um yeah. I think we and this is not just about the paranormal community, I think we as a species tend to take ourselves a bit too seriously. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, embracing that weirdness uh, can lead to a lot of amazing things. If I hadn't embraced my weirdness, uh, I wouldn't be friends with you two. I would not be engaged to my wonderful fiance. Um, there's a lot of my life that that wouldn't have turned out as well as it did. It was literally your weirdness that made me decide to be friends with you. Yeah, because you were the only one laughing at my jokes in high school. Yep. Um. No, yeah, and I, I think Weirdo has... Oh, I mean, I can't remember a time where Weirdo wasn't a term of endearment in yeah. my lexicon. So maybe that's a sign that Tenny's influence had already been pretty firmly established by the time I, I reached speaking age. Mm. Um, which would make sense, you know, if he's from Royal Oak, maybe it's just maybe it's just a Michigan thing. Maybe if you go to Texas, you call someone a Weirdo, they pull a gun on you. <laughs> I mean, maybe, I don't know. I mean... Much much like Nick was saying that the cat's out of the bag for him, like, I'm autistic, so I kind of didn't have a chance to not be weird. But you didn't have to be autistic about the weird things. You could have been autistic about something else. I feel like anything I was autistic about would have become weird. <laughs> like, you know, if I was one of those autistic people that's super into trains, like, think about uh, people who are super into trains. I They scare me. Like... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just whatever your passions are, man. <laughs> I'm, ki I'm kidding. It's just everyone's special interest is equally good and valid. And um, tweet at me if someone bullied you about your special interest and I'll kill them. I'll go to their house and I'll kill you, them. Jay will, will not, not do that. You will Jay not. will not do that. <laughs> you are going to get us into trouble. I'm sorry. God, I'm not at all. 
<laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, like I, I'm weird. I have embraced that, and I'm, I'm fine with it because I don't, I don't know another way to be. This is just how I exist in the world. This is just how I move through my environment. And quite frankly, everyone who's ever had a problem with that, um, they were boring. And I. <clears throat> I reading like his list of goals of like get of like get weirder and that whole thing he was talking about like of don't isolate yourself into one section of the paranormal it's like you have like go forth branch out read other things just sitting there just like the initial grumpiness that I have in my life of just being like I don't want to read about UFOs because they're stupid because I decided they're stupid and it's like I don't even fucking think that anymore but we're getting you slowly every book I see your resistance crumble a little more they're just so sciencey mm-hmm. what if they're not I t- I mean Mothman was not really sciencey at all no it was not it was it was John Keel slowly losing his mind <laughs> in West Virginia <laughs> that's what that book was um West Virginia. <laughs> yes, thank you, baby. That is the state I mentioned. <laughs> so, <Country road. laughs> yes, I yes, I do think I do think I'm a weirdo, and yes, I do think that um, as long as the as long as both parties are in agreement that that term is a term of endearment, then yes, of course it is. And I I do agree with with his goals of we should constantly be expanding our minds, and we should not ever get comfortable and feel like we found the answer because if we feel like we found the answer then we're probably going to miss opportunities to gain new information because we're going to think we know everything already and dismiss it like me with the ufos where i'm like that's stupid that has nothing to enrich my life and then stupid bastards just had to go and enrich my worldview and it's like i didn't want that i didn't want that from you and then jock goddamn valet He's just so smart. <laughs> um, I think the reason why this resonated so hardly with me. So this last section I read about was the last two essays in the book. And then a little small snippet about a, another one. But essentially, I'm, most of it was about the state of the unusual 2019. And then the last one, which was just titled Weirdo. And this resonated really, really, really strongly with me, these last two. And I think a big part of that was I don't think I was always a weirdo. Yeah. You know, I not just because like I wasn't always interested in this stuff. Sure. I always had like passing interest in this kind of stuff, but I was very much not the kind of person that would publicly talk about my interest in UFOs. I was athletic, like I played sports, I tried to be popular, and then I was a total burnout not most through most of high school um and my life became about you know drugs but these resonated so strongly with me i think now because i'm starting to like i don't know if it's i'm just coming more into the idea of being okay with my passions being so out there or or what but like especially the 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 weirdo like the last essay in the book like him talking about like essentially saying it's okay to be weird uh in fact embrace it own it and be weirder because that's how people like us are going to continue to grow and continue to you know 
better the world because essentially that's what people like us are doing. Like what we try to do is take something that has we have no we have little knowledge of, you know, and take the expertise that we have of life plus, you know, for you guys, schooling. Um and just try to make sense of it in some way, right? And we're all pretty creative people, so that it helps me wrap my own mind around it too. So seeing somebody who I uh, respect as much as I do uh, with John Tenney, right, and say, "Hey, you're you're a weirdo that's obsessed with pirates, and that's totally fucking cool," you know, and that it kind of blew my mind a little bit. And like, I already knew a lot of his whole thing about like. Uh, of his whole thing about, you know, being a weirdo and all that because of other things that I've ingested. Um, but reading the way that he wrote it and the very unique style that he writes was it, it like hit home for me really hard. And I just thought, I thought it was super cool. And I, uh, I don't know. I became more okay with, with like, I always called, I always call myself a weirdo, but like I became more okay with looking at it as a positive factor, not just something funny to say. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that would be, uh, I mean, I think John Tenney would love to hear that uh, because I think that was largely his goal. I I will say this, the one thing I wanted to point out, um, I do, I, well, thinking about weirdos versus who's not a weirdo, I thought about my brother. Um, my brother is, as I joke, a German super weapon. He is very fit. Uh, he's, he was a very popular guy in high school. He very, you know, what you'd see is a normal guy, but he is so freaking weird. He is a giant weirdo. Great. It's not about the same things. He's a weirdo about fitness. He can recite what every ingredient in that beverage I'm drinking is doing to my body. Um, and he runs a fitness podcast, uh, Eat, Train, Repeat. Go listen to it. It's great. Uh, he, it actually is, it yeah, actually no, it, is really good. <laughs> yeah, it is. He's, he does a great job. Um, he runs his own um, his own personal training company. Uh, he's turned his garage into this really amazing looking gym with the floor lined with horse stall mats. And to, to anyone who's not athletic like me, that's freaking weird. So I, I, I do like this kind of embracing the term in the sense that once you drill down into a person and you get to what makes them tick and what they really love, everyone is so freaking strange. Uh, and in that way, though, it helps reduce the barriers between us. And, and that I, I agree with that completely, that it's like everyone has things about them that to anyone outside of their specific subculture or to just anyone who is outside of them will, if they're dragged into the light of day, seem incredibly strange. And that uh, the people that we often deem like normal or typical or not weirdos are actually just deeply embarrassed by that fact or they haven't found a thing that they feel uncomfortable feel comfortable embracing as a massive part of their identity like that and so they you know they you know the scary thing is there's i guarantee you there's a lot of people out there that don't know that it's okay for them to even do that kind of research and yeah and 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 express that passion on their own because i didn't yeah, I didn't absolutely. for years. Like I didn't understand that it was totally fine for me to go to the library and start reading whatever the fuck I want to read about because those were the the hush 
you know, off limits topics. Only the, the people who've committed their lives to that do, do that, you know? And, and that's kind of what I was, what I said earlier about like, I didn't have a chance to not be weird because I'm autistic of it's like, there were times in my life when I tried to not be the way I am. And even if I just watched the shows that everybody else watched and I only read the books that everyone else read and I dressed like every everybody else did, I'm autistic and people were and people still just like didn't like my vibes or I engaged with the pop culture thing in a way that was distinctly wrong and abnormal in a way that was viewed with suspicion or far worse, blatant mockery. And and so it was just and so I eventually just made a choice of it's like, oh, people are going to treat me like this literally no matter what I do because of like the eye contact thing and the way that I speak and the way that I sit and just everything about me. So I'm done giving 90 percent of my uh, energy to the task of masking for People who aren't familiar with that term, that is uh, that is the term that autistic people use when we are trying to hide the fact that we are autistic. Uh, the uh, and thanks to quarantine, I've forgotten how to do it completely. So that's going to be fun when I go back to school. <laughs> <laughs> but, or it'll just be an opportunity for you to not mask anymore. But that's scary. Hmm. <laughs> but. So, yeah, it there is absolutely I, I also really liked John Tenney's whole vibe of like just embrace it because not having to do that anymore was such a relief. And just the idea of like people will there I can find people who will accept me and will love me and respect me not because of the way I am not in spite of it was an incredibly freeing period in my life and it was so nice to just sink back into like my fandom bullshit and all of that stuff and it's just like it's like throwing myself back into a hot tub and being like I'm not gonna get yelled at for this for once if it makes you happy just fucking do it right it's like we're not we're not hurting anyone with our with our Bigfoot is an alien ghost shit. We're not harming. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, And one thing I will say is if you see somebody doing something that you find weird or uh, unacceptable, but it's not harming anyone else and you feel the need to correct them, you're the problem. You're the strange one. Absolutely. We need to learn to just let people squeeze whatever joy they can out of this life because, damn it, it's hard enough, isn't it? No, absolutely. If it, Like I said, if it makes you happy, just do it. As long as it ain't hurting anybody, there's no reason for you not to. Yeah. Like, I, I can't. I, I don't know. I, if you, if you want to crawl through a bathtub of pickles wearing a wetsuit, it's your decision. Yeah. I might judge you for that, though. I won't. I, I won't. I just I won't judge as long as you send pictures to our Gmail at Noctivigant Podcast at gmail.com. Oh, that seems like a great transition point. <laughs> I helped. <laughs> <laughs> well, any last words before we go into housekeeping? Uh, I loved this book. 
I uh, I like John I like John Tenney an awful lot. I uh, empathize with a lot of his points, and I think people should read this. Even though there's a lot in this book we didn't get to, and it is a little hard to read just because it's so all over the place. It is basically mm-hmm. just a collection of his writings and various essays. But you can honestly get through it in a day. Oh yeah, it, I mean it's short. It's I it's was, 113 pages. I, I was joking that it I would that you know we were reviewing a pamphlet this time around, but uh, as it turns out, no, we filled the whole episode with this. And then some. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, seriously, go 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 read the book. He has one chapter in there where he's just like, I'm going to propose eight paranormal national holidays. And yep. it's like, OK, got to buckle the fuck up for this one. And one of them's on my birthday. Yeah. And he we should celebrate. Um, <laughs> and also he spends a chapter ranting about how why the fuck would you call yourself a demonologist when you know that they are the ones that burned innocent people at the stake during the witch trials. And it's like, Mr. Tenney, I respect your point and I see how you got there. But deep breath into the <laughs> nose, out through the mouth. It's fine. I mean, I and he he's great he's a very very interesting man uh there was one sentence i said where he i saw though that will haunt my mind forever where he said people came from all walks of life but instead of walk w-a-l-k he spelled it w-o-k like the the asian cooking bowl and i can't tell if that's on purpose or if he legitimately thinks that's the saying either one is beautiful well he he did make it clear in his introduction that he made sure and this apparently hurt his publisher like his publisher he had to fight with his publisher to make this happen but he kept he all of the spelling and grammar mistakes that he made when initially writing those essays basically just because he said no one's perfect and i don't want to present a perfect image yeah and again that that added to the the, the the fascinating sensation of reading a mad scientist journals after he death lasered his own house to ashes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, that was it for Theoretical Weirdo by John Tenney. What's up next? Uh, next, we got a uh, another hometown hero, although this one is a bit more furry and less friendly. We're going to be reading The Michigan Dogman, Werewolves, and Other Unknown Canines Across the USA by Linda S. Godfrey. And I have some exciting news. We're going to have a fourth reviewer with us next episode. Yes. We are going to be joined by Caleb from the Paranormal Burrito Podcast. Heck yeah. Woo! Uh, We're uh, making it, people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, a, he's a fun guy. Uh, he runs a great show, and we're really excited to have him on to talk about this book. Uh, he's reading it for the first time along with us, so hopefully we're going to have some cool stuff to discuss about werewolves. Heck yeah. I'm so excited. And if you guys do want to interact with us, you can email us any of your thoughts, book requests, general weirdness to noctivigantpodcast at gmail.com. And we also have a Twitter at noctivigantpod. Or you can interact with us individually. I am on Twitter as MixRoryWicks. I am at Bearish Terror. I am at Midwest Undead. You can also find me on Tumblr where I run Noctivigant Podcast, a Tumblr page where the only thing I do there is post memes about the books we read. (laughs) There is also a Reddit account we manage, uh, which you can interact with us there. I am posting all the time under that account uh, all over Reddit. Uh, It's called the Noctivigant Podcast. And I think I think that's about it. Is it? Yeah, I think so. we, We don't have anything else, right? Because fuck Facebook. No, no, we don't have a Facebook. We and, don't have an Instagram. And what the heck would we put on Instagram and TikTok? Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. pictures of books? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there is a whole sub thing of TikTok called Book Talk, but I don't want it. I don't. 
and we you know we'll have to hire somebody for that one okay day. so listeners out there if you want to for free manage our tiktok let me know because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we have no money to pay you. yeah correct um, but otherwise thank you very much for listening as always and stay safe out there stay weird bye Yeah, I'm a weirdo. I think I've finally come to accept that. Maybe. I don't know.